Williams. Hello, everyone. Good morning. It's so great to be with you. My eyes are still adjusting to see everybody in the room. And as Adrian was saying, yes, part of my job, what I do is to address some of the toughest objections we might have to faith, whether you are a Christian, whether you're on the threshold of faith, whether you're about to join, whether you're thinking of leaving, these questions really matter. And so the discipline I use and my colleagues as well is apologetics. Anyone who heard of apologetics before? Good, nice, nice a few people. Now, apologetics comes from the Greek word, and sorry any Greek scholars in here for mispronouncing, comes from the Greek word apologia or apologia. It's in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, which says, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ, but do it with gentleness and respect. And that phrase, give an answer, a reasoned defense is the apologia, is the, is, the, is the defense that we give. So when someone says to me, how can you be a Christian when the world is so messed up? And I can say, well, the Bible says, and yes, the Bible might say, but if that person does not think the Bible is a credible source, me quoting the Bible to them is not really going to help. And so what apologetics does is remove the barriers to someone's faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to replace the Holy Spirit, okay? And then be able to share the relevance and the truth and the beauty of the gospel. So today's question, is Christianity the white man's religion, is quite a sensitive one. Maybe it's your question. Maybe it's the question of your relatives or your friends, when I was small, I'm the daughter of a Jamaican preacher. My dad has now passed away, but I remember when we were Jamaicans in the house, okay. <laughs> and I remember he would be asked by friends and Rastafarian friends or other young men in the area, how can you worship that white man's religion? How can you worship that white Jesus? So I've always heard this question, but actually, as we're going to get into in a moment, it's become a lot more relevant now. So we're going to look at three questions to unpack this. And they are, why ask this question? Because as I said, I've done this talk in in different uh, iterations of it and it makes people uncomfortable. Why bother to ask it? Isn't it divisive? Isn't there just one church? Isn't there one race, the human race, and we're all on our way to heaven? Why bother to ask it? We're going to put that on the table today. Number two, how might we respond? What can you say in response to this question? And then finally, why does Jesus matter? One of the most important things I found with the work of apologetics and addressing people's issues is not to try and win an argument and to sound really clever, but always to point people back to Jesus. So let's go to question one. Why ask this question? I'm sure you would have seen in 2020 when the global um, protest broke out with everything that happened with COVID-19 and uh, the murder of George Floyd and all that sort of thing. This question was catapulted into the mainstream. Okay, it was catapulted into the mainstream. As I've explained, it was always bubbling away within, I would say, black British communities. It's always been bubbling away. But this question following 2020 pushed out. 
And one of the reasons, one of the responses we saw to the protest where people were pulling down statues and saying, look, these statues are a symbol of colonialism and empire. We need to get rid of them. One of the responses was from this guy here on this um, Twitter, well, now X feed. His name is Sean King. He's an activist. And he said, yes, all murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. Remember, people were pulling statues down. He says they are a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression. Racist propaganda, they should all come down. He tweeted again, yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, that really um, powerful language, emotive language there, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark, tear them down. A bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke there. So when all of the protests happened, responses like this started to come to the fore. And unfortunately, sometimes the church, and I'm talking about the global church, the global church's response was what I just said. There's only one race, the human race, and we, we don't have to talk about this or just, just, let's just worship Jesus. But for some people whom this stuff is a barrier to faith, those responses weren't good enough. And this is the thing, if you have an objection to Christianity, if you have an objection to faith, and the person you go to with your question minimizes it and says, well, you shouldn't even be asking that question. That's not helping you. We really need to make sure we dignify the questions that people have. So this is the kind of response that came out. And then in popular culture, anybody seen Wakanda forever? Anyone seen the Black Panda movies? Black, Black Panda, Black Panther, yeah? Okay, some people have, okay. And anyone seen Avatar 2? Some people have, okay. There was a guy in the cinema fully sleeping, fully snoring throughout the entire film when I went to see it, for shame. But we can see in popular culture, there is this dignifying, there is this beautifying of indigenous cultures, of cultures that haven't been colonized. And you see that, the, the, the beauty and the, the festivals and the traditions you see, and there's just, just the brightness of the colors in a movie like Wakanda Forever. The same thing is true for Avatar too. It's all coming out, this question is in culture, where people are saying, do you know what? Our planet was fine until the colonizers came. Yeah, and they wanted to colonize us. So this question isn't just in conversations with people. We see it being raised in culture. Anybody here going on to university or have done any sort of thing like sociology or so, um, social sciences might have come across this next thing on our next slide called intersectionality. And it's a feature of critical race theory. It's an academic discipline that began in America where academics and lawyers, they saw... African-Americans saw that there was, in their view, a two-tier justice system. So they wanted to intervene and critical race theory emerged. And intersectionality is one of its later iterations. The idea that if I am a woman and I'm black and if I come from the working class, all these layers intersect, all these markers of my identity intersect and cause me to be disadvantaged. Again, 
I have seen the church not respond very well to some of these ideas. Sometimes as Christians, we can be so quick to rubbish another view and say it's, it's antithetical to the gospel. But I'll be dignifying what the person is saying. Listening to what someone has to say and agreeing with it are two very, very different things. So you can see this, we've looked at culture, we've looked at entertainment, we've looked at the academy, so the university space. And if you go into university, you may well come to uh, encounter some of these theories here. And then what if we look further back? Let's look back into church history on this next slide here. This picture. Can anybody tell me what this is a picture of? Who might be here? Great church reformer. Yes, Martin Luther, the great church reformer, where he nails his theses onto the door, okay? And he basically trying to say what the church should be like. But when we look at Christian history, and I've been to theological college and I've studied a bit of church history. When we look at the history of the church, it doesn't seem to reflect someone who looks like me. It looks like a one single narrative. All of this contributes to the question, Is Christianity the white man's religion? Is it really? And then the huge elephant in the room, which we do need to do justice to, is this question here. The involvement of the church, on the next slide, the involvement of the church with the transatlantic slave trade. And this image here, I find it very powerful because we know for a fact, when you read the testimony of formerly enslaved Africans, you will see that the Bible, the word of God, which is meant to bring liberation and freedom, was actually weaponized and used to enslave. And so when someone says, is Christianity the white man's religion? I'll give you an example. I was at a family dinner. I was enjoying my curry goat rice and peas. Yeah, trying to have a peaceful time. And then a debate broke out with some of my cousins and they were talking about, we don't need white Jesus anymore. We don't need Christianity anymore. And it got quite fiery and I was starting to get into this conversation with them. This question is coming from a number of places. And then when we see horrible events like what we saw in 2020 happen, it just brings it to the surface. And the thing is, people don't want to be associated with Christianity if it's a harmful idea. In the past, people used to ask questions, is Christianity true? And you might give them some evidences about why we would uh, present Christianity as a true worldview. Then they might say, is it relevant? Okay, it might be true, but is it relevant to my life? Now, the question of your generation is, is it harmful? Is it racist? Is it misogynistic? Is it homophobic? Is it all of these things? Because if it is, I don't want anything to do with it. And this is where this question has come from. I talked to you about the testimony of the formerly enslaved. This is a quote from, on this next slide here, from um, Frederick Douglass, a very, very powerful narrative. If you haven't read it, I strongly suggest you do. And he talks about how he's treated. And he says, the man who wields the blood clotted cow skin, so that's the whip during the week, 
fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. He's getting at the hypocrisy. His enslaver who treats him badly is preaching to him on a Sunday. And I'm telling you, all of this hypocrisy comes out in the conversations definitely that I'm having with people that you may have, the questions you may have or the conversations you're having with people. He goes on to say, the man who robs me of my earnings at the end of each week meets me as a class leader on Sunday morning to show me the way of life and the path of salvation. He who sells my sister for purposes of prostitution stands forth as the pious advocate of purity. And we know that this slave trade had even greater effects upon women in the way that they were treated as well. And this is the kicker for me. He who proclaims it a religious duty to read the Bible denies me the right of learning to read the name of the God who made me. So we know that on the plantation, the formerly enslaved, they were not permitted to read the the entire Bible. They were not even permitted to learn how to read because enslavers knew that literacy would lead to knowledge and would lead to knowing that I should not be enslaved. This is terrible stuff. This is what is behind that question. We're going to skip the next slide and go to uh, the picture of this man here. We land here. The same person that was tweeted about by Sean King. Jesus looking very European. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with any culture drawing and representing Jesus to reflect who they are. The problem lies when one image becomes the universal picture because what that's telling us is there's some colonial baggage about it. That's what it's telling us. There are cultures, if we think about the Ethiopian church, who depict Jesus looking very different. But many of us see this image here. And I actually went to West Africa in 2019 and I was doing some work in a Bible college there and we went to loads of churches and this is what Jesus looked like in the church. And people are saying that's problematic. It may not be your objection, but it could well be someone else's. Now to our second question, how might we respond? We can clearly see that something has gone wrong, okay? Something has gone wrong. How might we respond? Well, the first thing to say is that the history of the church, the history of the church tells a story that is very diverse that tells a story of people from all around the world who have been convinced of the claims of Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at this next quote on our next slide. This is, a, this is a slightly older book, but it's still very helpful. And in this book, it says nearly half of the most prominent church leaders in the first few centuries, such as Origen, Cyprian, Athanasius and Augustine were North African and probably a fair number of these were dark in complexion. If you were to Google Augustine, one of the early church fathers, okay, Tertullian, early church fathers who are 
directly responsible for some, for some of the things that we believe today in terms of the Trinity and the way that we have an orthodox view of Christianity or whatever theology we might subscribe to, these early church fathers, if you were to Google their names, they wouldn't look like they were from North Africa. Not really. Because they have been romanticized and changed to look very European in Christian art. And not telling the story accurately makes people feel like my cousins who I'm having the debates with at the family cookout, makes them feel like this is not a religion for me because I've been written out of it. Here is an artist's impression on our next slide of what some of these early church fathers might have looked like. And I'm sure that's not what it looks like if you were to to do a random Google of them. I'm talking about deep thinkers. When you start to read Tertullian's work, he was, you know, an early apologist, an early defender of the faith. When people were writing heresy and saying all sorts of things, he used to write his, his defense of the faith. And yet, for some reason, by the time we've wound down to our point in history, we lost, we've lost the sense that the Christian faith is diverse. And God has been speaking to and working throughout history, working in different um, generations and different cultures throughout time. On this next slide, we have two women. They are called Perpetua and Felicity. Again, this is an artist's impression. Two women who were um, North African in heritage and they were martyred for their faith. But when you start to Google pictures of them, they probably don't look like this. This is about telling the story correctly. Not that God has been absent from different cultures, but have we told the story correctly? Again, on our next slide, and I think this is a fascinating book if any of you want to take this conversation further. It's called The Whitewashing of Christianity. Very tough read. This guy doesn't play any jokes. He says... Luther, so Martin Luther, the picture we saw before, the great church reformer, developed a fascination with the history of theology of of Ethiopian Christianity. Ethiopia, in Luther's estimation, provided a glimpse into what was in Christianity's past and what ought to be in her future. Other Christian academics have seen some of the writings of Martin Martin Luther's own writings where he was in conversation with an Ethiopian deacon called Michael the Deacon. And that that conversation and Martin Luther's um, affiliation with the Ethiopian church was influential to his reformation in England. But when you go to theological college, unfortunately, that's not what you hear. I had to learn this stuff outside. God has been at work. And the thesis of Jerome Gay Jr.'s book there is that there seems to be a whitewashing of Christianity, a not not an accurate telling of how God has been at work in different cultures throughout time and history. And this is where we're going to land with this question now. Why does Jesus matter? As I've said to you, 
For those of you interested in apologetics and you can learn all kinds of great uh, arguments or responses for why we believe that Christianity is true, you make a cumulative case. So when I look at philosophy, when I look at objective morals and and, philosophy, ethics, when I look at science, when I look at the fine-tuning of the universe, when I look at the cosmology of the universe, when I look at um, history, the historicity of the Bible and the historical Jesus, when I'm looking at beauty and mathematics and logic, all of these things create a cumulative case for the truth of Christianity. But it's not enough to know facts about church history when addressing this question. You have to bring it back to who Jesus is. Now remember I quoted for you Frederick Douglass and I told you the stark reality of what life was like for him and many of the enslaved on a plantation and how the Bible was used to enslave them. And he writes at the end of his book in the appendix, he says kind of like, reader, you might have thought that I'm almost despaired of my faith but actually, this is actually how I feel. And he says this on our next slide. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognise the widest possible difference. I love the pure, peaceable and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. And this is so powerful because Frederick Douglass, any of you who know the history, went on to be one of the greatest abolitionists for the movement to, to bring down the transatlantic slave trade. In his book, you can tell by the way he writes, he, he doesn't mince his words, he tells it like it is. And yet somebody and so many people who had every reason to reject Christianity because of the way it was weaponized against them, what do we see here? He has an encounter with Jesus. It is Jesus that compels him. And knowing who he is in Jesus gives him all the resource and the tools he needs to to radically condemn the institution of slavery. We know that there was a book called The Slave Bible, which removed huge chunks of the Bible. Removed it. And yet Frederick Douglass taught himself to read. He was an autodidact. He used to get scraps of paper. If you read his narrative, it's so fascinating. And when he reads the Bible, when he encounters scripture, when he encounters Jesus, he sees a very different Jesus to the one he was taught. And for somebody who had every reason to reject the faith, he says, I see the beauty of Christ. I see the beauty of Jesus. I have encountered him. And that's why I can reject this awful faith. What is it about Jesus Well, let's take a look on our next slide. Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus on our next slide. Jesus was the son of immigrant parents. So you saw that tweet before by Sean King, okay? He was the son of immigrant parents. That means he was displaced. Anybody you know or anybody in here that feels what what it's like to be displaced and not at home in your own country. Jesus 
identifies with your situation. Jesus lived under Roman occupation. We know that because we know that the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, and the high priests, okay, who didn't like what Jesus had to say, whenever they needed something to be squashed, they would, they would call the Roman government to help them. He lived under Roman occupation. What about all our brothers and sisters around the world who are living under the oppression of another organisation, another country? The God of the Bible, Jesus identifies with that too. Jesus fraternised with outcasts. We see that. One of my favourite passages of scripture, Jesus is talking to blind Bartimaeus and everyone around him says to him, stop calling Jesus, keep quiet, keep quiet. And we know that Bartimaeus is blind, he's poor and he's outcast. If you want to talk about intersectionality, let's talk about Bartimaeus. He was three times disadvantaged and the crowd said to him, be quiet. And Jesus said to him, call him and bring him here. And those same crowds turned around and said, oh look, he's calling you. And then Jesus healed him. Jesus made friends with the people and the the ethnic others and the minorities and the women that people didn't want to be associated with. This is the Jesus that people like Frederick Douglass encountered. Jesus was poor. Jesus was poor. How do we know this? When his parents went to the temple to, to give the sacrifice for when he was born. They took the cheapest kind of sacrifice. If you look at the book of um, Leviticus, you look at the law and you look at what his parents took to the temple, you'll see, mm-hmm, yeah, they were kind of poor. The God of the Bible hasn't come on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a horse and chariot striding through. He identifies with the oppressed. This is the God of the Bible. This is what we see in Jesus. Jesus was underestimated and he was criminalised. When Jesus started to recruit some of his followers, I believe it was Philip, went and told Nathaniel, we found the one that Moses predicted, we found him. And then Nathaniel said, where is he from? Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel didn't think based upon where Jesus was born, that cannot be the Christ. And then he actually encountered Jesus and was made to recognise, was made to put respect on Jesus' name. Jesus was underestimated. How many of you in here have been underestimated just on the basis of where you live? The God of the Bible knows what that feels like. He was criminalised. I'm not even going to go there. Jesus endured an illegal trial. He endured an illegal trial. So the timing of the day when Jesus was tried wasn't actually the time he should have been tried. The proceedings, we told, we're told, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, that the people who testified about Jesus and his behaviour were making up stories and their stories didn't even agree. He endured an illegal trial. And finally, he endured an humiliating execution. When we see pictures of Jesus on the cross today, we are seeing very sanitised versions of them. Jesus was likely, would have been naked. He would have likely been hanging on the cross naked. That's a form of abuse. Hanging out, humiliated on the cross. An execution by crucifixion was 
um, a punishment that was designed only for Roman citizen, for non-Roman citizens. So if you were a Roman, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be um, crucified because it was deemed so horrible. And you see this in some of the writings of the ancients. But Jesus was executed in such a humiliating way. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible knows what this kind of disadvantage, this kind of suffering feels like and didn't just stay there, but actually overcame it through the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. So the invitation when we're dealing with this question, is Christianity the white man's religion? There's so much that we can say about the hand of God at work in different cultures across time. There's so much. And so much we need to reteach on our Christian courses and syllabuses and stuff like that. But when we do the real digging, we will see that Jesus, a Semitic man from first century Palestine, endured all of these things and yet he is the Lord of heaven. And this is the invitation, if you don't know him, this is the invitation to get to know this saviour. Unlike any other God, unlike any other um, person who has tried to save humanity, this is the God who came low and through everything he did has overturned overturned the world system. And that is why we have hope. That is why Frederick Douglass had hope. That is why I have hope. Even when I look around and I'm so angry at some of the stuff I see. And I could tell you stories of stuff that's happened to me that would make me wanna reject Christianity. But there's something beautiful, there's something true, and there's something trustworthy about Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. So before we get into some questions, I just want to say one thing. Maybe you can have a little minute to have a discussion with the person next to you and we'll get into some questions. I just want to say one thing. So I work for an organisation, a couple of organisations that do apologetics and if anyone's heard of Reboot before, anyone heard of Reboot? No. Oh, one person waving their hand. Thank you, friend. Well, on the 16th of September, that's Saturday the 16th of September in Ilford, if you go to rebootquestions.com, rebootquestions.org, sorry, rebootquestions.org, we're having a whole day event in London where we're looking at some of the tough questions. Suffering, science, identity, doubts, we're going to have a whole day of apologetics, content and questions and some nice lunch and some food and, and games as well. So do check that out at rebootquestions.org and I'd love to see you there. What, what we'll do now is I'll give you about two minutes to just digest what we've, we've gone through and then we'll come and take some questions. Is that okay? All right. So now we've got some time for questions. Um. I wanted to ask about if someone asks just straight up, um, is Christianity a white man's religion? Like a sort of three minute summary of how I can just, without having to go into it because I probably get bored, you know? Um, so just a really quick way to summarize it for them, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, one method I do when I'm 
being asked a question just in a conversation, you don't have a present a 30-minute presentation to give, is use this kind of system. So first of all, you affirm the question, affirm what you can. So do you know what? I understand why you're asking this question. And actually, there's a lot behind it. The next one is two, what are the assumptions behind the question? Okay, so what are they assuming about the world? They're assuming that Christianity is a white man's religion and that it's only ever done harm and stuff like that. And then you bring some challenge. So you maybe state one or two of these things that I've shown you today. And then you always land with Jesus. So is Christianity a white man's religion? Do you know what? I can see why you'd say that. The church has a lot of fixing up to do, okay? We've got this wrong. I think though that where I think that Christianity isn't the white man's religion. I think what's happened is Christianity has been whitewashed. The story of God's hand at work in multiple cultures has been whitewashed. And that is wrong. And we need to overturn that. We need to reclaim the narrative. For example, church history, etc., etc., etc. Yeah? And then you can always land with the gospel. Is that helpful? Yeah, hello. Um Hi. I uh I'm um Jamaican and I grew up in a Jamaican household and um, these are conversations that I've been often having with uh, grandparents and even like going to the barbershop and just talking about Christianity and um, I'm going to try and articulate this question as best as possible but um, most of the church's whitewashing is deep rooted in the historical legacies of slavery and colonialism. We as um, a black community have I guess post and present trauma. How do we heal and change that narrative of Christianity being mainly a white man's religion when, for example, Caribbeans experienced more division when they came over during the Rimrush in white-majority churches. Um, how do we heal our past and present and future traumas? Thank you. Such a great question. And just to say that um, the Windrush generation, they are absolute soldiers. Um, my grandparents, when they came to this country, went to a, the established church, white church on a Sunday, and were told, please don't come back. And that is a story of many, and I'm sure that's probably the story of your, your family as well. So I think one of the ways we relearn and we heal from this is to celebrate the pioneers, the Windrush pioneers, who, again, who had every reason to reject the faith because of the way they were treated, but held on. What is it that they held on to? It wasn't wishful thinking. It's not just a psychological crutch. There's something true undergirding that faith. And also unlearning. So some of the stuff I was talking about today, looking at church history. So that book, The Whitewashing of Christianity, there's another great book called Urban Apologetics. And there's a really great show on um, Prime Video. You can rent it or you can buy it. It's called Unspoken. It's called, if you just um, search in Prime, Unspoken Documentary, it literally is a feature-length version of this question today. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Not yet. You haven't seen it. Not Honestly, yet. just, just um, go on YouTube and check the trailer. Yeah. It's fantastic. Actually, you can make an evening of it. Sit down with your family yeah. and watch that. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, I'm... Where I'm from, I'm 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 Black African of Ghanaian descent, and Ghana was also a British Crown colony back in the day, and it's like, and there's like when the British came, they brought Christianity with them, and they like trying to like whitewash them into like going into that religion, where it's not respecting their tribe like stuff, and it's like. And I wonder if it's like, 
if if they if colonialism brought Christianity to their former colonies in such a huge way that it made a lasting impact. Yes, okay, I think I've, I've got your question there. Thank you for sharing that. It's very, very moving. Um, I know that Elima Castle, yeah, is one of the, 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 the sites in Ghana which we should be visiting and we should be respecting because of what was done there. Um, thank you for sharing that question. So it is true, and I haven't hidden that, it is true that Christianity was weaponized brutally against Africans. Okay, it was. And I'm never going to stand up on a stage and say, well, without slavery, black people would never know the faith. That's not true. Okay, because even in scripture, in scripture, you will see a strong black presence in the Bible. We don't really talk about that when we preach. Yeah. So there's two, there's an assumption that you're making and which I see a lot of people doing and I get it. I understand. And I think one of the things is, yes, indigenous culture, you you said tribal cultures, they already had their beliefs and it was like Christianity came as an imposition and stomped it out, yeah? But the assumption is, and this might sound controversial, but the assumption is, and I'll give you a Bible example, the assumption is that whatever any culture, whether it's in the West or wherever part, whatever they're doing already is the best good thing for them to do and should never, never change. I'm not saying that the way that Christianity came into these cultures was right, absolutely abhorrent, violent, and I condemn it. But if we take St. John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, yeah? And she's a smart lady. She's talking about her culture. We do this, we pray like this, we do this, okay? And then Jesus challenges her, go and call your husband. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. Yeah, and they get into that conversation. But my point is, Jesus went alongside her and challenged her. In the end, she became a follower of Jesus and then the other Samaritans did. When the story continues, friend, the Bible continues to call the Samaritans Samaritans. So in their skin, in their Samaritan skin, in their Samaritan culture, in their Samaritan way of being, they became followers of Jesus. So what I'm saying is that Jesus, the gospel message will always stand over and above cultures and may well challenge cultures and the things that they do for them to change. But that should never be, and we see it with Jesus in St. John chapter four, that should never be done in a forceful and violent way. So the church has some reckoning to do with that. And I'm agreeing with you. But then my question would be, can the God of the Bible challenge all of us, any of us, And just being a Christian doesn't mean becoming white, yeah? Being a Christian means following Jesus in your skin. And that's why we have that picture in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, around God's throne, people from every tribe and nation were worshiping Christ, yeah? Thank you so much for your question. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, helpful. Hi. Hi. Would you say that you agree with Sean King about um, getting rid of like white, pictures of Jesus or the statues would you say that that's right or um so I think that obviously people were pulling down stuff and there there are ways of of bureaucratic ways of doing stuff within a council to remove statues okay I think what I was trying to get at with his example is that it's okay for cultures 
to represent Jesus, to look like them. When we see white Jesus, white blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus being universal, that is telling us a story of empire and colonial baggage. And that's the problem, okay? So I think that if there is a church and they're saying they come together and they agree, you know what, maybe we should revise these images here because of where we live and because of who we are and we worship. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. Um, I had a similar question to the previous one about images. And me, I'm Ethiopian, and I've seen images within the Ethiopian church and the universal images that you were just talking about. And do you think that drawing images of Christ can be confused with idolizing? Quite possibly, quite possibly. If someone's ability to pray or to focus upon God can't be done without the image or if the image becomes the most precious thing to them then that's a form of idolatry yeah in the same way that if all I can ever do is look at my phone every five seconds maybe I'm making an idol out of my phone these things can happen quite easily with with anything but what I think for some people images of Christ are helpful to center them and to steal them as they go into prayer or to worship and that's okay but if the image becomes what you worship, then that's a problem. So for me, when I'm praying and my mind has got about a thousand thoughts going on, what I try to do now is just read a psalm. Read Psalm 23, audibly, read it out loud. Because doing that centers me and I start to stop thinking about the deadlines and the emails and the bills and it centers me and then I'm going into pray. For somebody else, it might be that they sit down and they look at an image of Jesus and it just steals them. And then they pray. But I'm saying if the image becomes the centre of your worship and that's all you ever talk about and it's all you're about, then you've got a problem. All these things are meant to be done with balance. Yeah, that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, sorry, this side. You're right, you're right. (laughs) Go for it. Hi, sorry, I just wanted to ask, do you think it's necessarily a bad thing if people seem to take comfort in the fact that there's a chance that the uh, skin tone and the race of their Jesus could be similar to them and they start to kind of use that as a way to um, make yourself feel better about your own race and how you appear as yourself? I think that um, if all you have ever seen is images of Jesus that look very different to you. And, though, and those images have become synonymous with violence and oppression and colonialism because of the church's past, which we've, we've talked about already. If that, is, if that becomes a hindrance to your faith to the point where you're going to walk away or, or it just, it's an objection for you, then finding comfort in an image, like our friend over there was talking about, the Ethiopian uh, depictions of Jesus then I don't see that there's a problem with that. I don't see that there's a problem with that. There was, there's, an, there's an artist, I think it's a Japanese artist actually, who's done some images of Jesus um, still in the storm. And the whole picture is of Jesus on a, on a, on a ship looking very uh, Japanese in, in, in likeness. And I think that's a beautiful thing because what it's telling us is that the God of the Bible entered human history in a little place called Nazareth And from that place has managed to impact the entire world. So comfort is one thing, but worship and idolatry of an image is another. Thank you. Thanks.
Hi. Hello. Um, my question is about the demonization of like tribal cultures by through Christianity, because it does go hand in hand with um, the culture as well. So that was my question. Yeah, and this is what I think when I was watching, for instance, Wakanda Forever and just seeing um, the way that they, for instance, had the funeral for T'Challa, it was beautiful. It was just colourful, it was bright. And even though they were mourning, it was just this beautiful scene. And I think that there is a difference between, and as I said, from that example, from St. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus didn't go into that culture and say, right, you now have to... When the woman, when the woman decided, when she said come see someone who told me everything I did could this be the Christ when she said that she didn't suddenly turn into a white lady she didn't suddenly turn into a Jewish man do you know what I mean she didn't suddenly turn she was still herself and so I believe that the gospel will always challenge anyone's individual life and challenge cultures where there are practices that are not good but in terms of art and entertainment and um, food and those celebrations that are slightly different and the, and the challenge of the gospel will challenge where let's say someone is worshipping someone who is not God yeah the Bible tells us God is a jealous God and what we have in our culture right now is what we call syncretism syncretism is the idea of I'm going to be a Christian and I like Jesus but I'm also going to burn some sage and I'm also going to do this to the Orishas. And I'm also going to, whatever it might be. And so you kind of wind it all up because, hey, it's, it's all good. But Jesus makes quite exclusive claims about himself. St. John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's big. That's controversial. And we've got to see, can we take him on, on, on the basis of those claims? So what happened with colonialism and empire was the demonizing of African culture, African beauty, African tradition. It's beautiful. And it became, to be a Christian means that you have to be white. That's what, it, that's what it became. But that's not what we see how Jesus interacted with cultures. Yeah? So I think, and people might not agree with me, but wherever the gospel goes, it will always challenge the practices of any culture. But God isn't asking us to turn into something else because we get that picture in Revelation that it's going to be a lot of different people worshipping God. Is that helpful? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi there. Hi. Um, so I live in Hereford, which is a predominantly white area, white churches. Um, and my question to you is, uh, as over history, oh, and also I want to say thank you for your talk, it's really interesting. <laughs> um, over time, as, your, as the, what you call the whitewashing of Christianity has happened, and the expression of church and faith that we get in the UK today, um, it is predominantly white and Western. Is there anything that you would say in your opinion, um, is there something that in the West as Christians we miss that's fundamental to faith and Christianity? Or is there anything from Eastern cultures or African cultures that, in the UK would be really helpful for our theology and particularly our practice to implement? Wow. <laughs> um, I think that, so I can only speak from my perspective. I'm black British, I was born here, okay? Um, I have noticed, particularly getting into theological education, there seems to be almost a relegation of 
the faith and traditions and, and expressions of non-reformed theology. So maybe Pentecostalism or charismatic, whatever. I'm Pentecostal, yeah, old school Pentecostal. And although my faith has been refined and I've deconstructed parts of it and God has put me back together and all sorts of things, I have found that there is this kind of, this is proper theology over here, which is essentially white western reform theology and that is you guys can sing kind of thing and then I'm just telling you how I've what I've seen when actually I think that one of the things you see especially if you watch that that movie I talked about Unspoken the the documentary on Prime Video what you see within particularly I can only speak for the black church not other ethnic minority churches there's always been historically and now and although there are some changes as millennials and Gen Z begin to deconstruct there's historically been a real deep connection between orthodoxy right doctrine and orthopraxy the practice of that doctrine so when all of this 2020 stuff happened George Floyd's critical race theory all this kind of stuff happened it was this kind of just preach the gospel that's social justice nonsense. Kind of, do you know what I mean? And it became this, just preach the gospel. You're, 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 and, and, and myself and other black Christians were like, we've always done this. We've always had orthodoxy, high view of scripture, exclusive claims of Jesus Christ and orthopraxy. We've always gone to feed the poor. We've always gone to help the disadvantaged, etc., etc. And I think that's slightly been missed. And so this is why you get people deconstructing their faith and saying, it's, 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 um, it's meant to be deeds over creeds. It's not what you think, it's how you act. When actually the gospel has always been both. And we see that in Jesus, he, he is the word become flesh. The incarnation testifies to the word become flesh, becomes to action and right thinking and right behaviour towards God. So I would encourage my um, white Western brothers and sisters in churches to really take seriously the, the, um, the action of your other ethnic minority brothers and sisters in their churches and link the two. Because you will lose a generation. But I said, if, if Christianity is harmful, Gen Z don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But actually, the, the, the very fact that we can do the work of social justice and stuff like that, and I know that's quite a controversial term, but I know what I mean when I say it, is, is, is hinged upon the fact that all morals and all right ways of doing things emanate from God himself. He is the God of justice. Justice belongs to him. So that's what I would say. That's, my, that's my, what I've seen. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm Sorry, I'm just going to check the time here. Okay. You've got I'm, six minutes. Hi, I'm of South African descent. Um, I really loved just your whole talk. It was just amazing. Um, I wanted to ask, so the term whitewashed, by the term whitewashed, are we saying Eurocentric or are we just saying whitewashed in general? Um, I think he does, in the book, he does go around a little bit, but he's mostly focusing on, I would say, Europe, okay? Because we know that Europe in the Enlightenment period, thinkers like Kant, thinkers like um, um, Hume were formational, okay, in what the West thinks about itself in Europe. So I think that's where he's getting, what he's getting at. Um, I'm just trying to think of another book that might deal with other areas um can you try come see me at the end and i'll try and give you another another book to recommend it but i think his book not um talks about europe yeah thank you thanks
Okay, the lines get longer. <laughs> okay, we've got six minutes. I'll talk really fast. Hi, thank you for your um, for your um, speech again. It was really good. Um, my question is, in terms of the way theology is taught in university, what changes can be made um, in accordance to what you've said today about critical race theory and about um, the white man's impact on Christianity? Well, just to be clear, theology at university, so secular university, isn't Bible study. Okay, it's very different to what you, the diet you'd get in church. Okay, because it's a spectrum of more left-leaning perspectives and more right-leaning perspectives. But let's say theology at an evangelical Christian college, yeah? I think that there needs to be uh, more acknowledgement of the global church, the global Christianity, okay? And when we're talking about Luther, for instance, let's talk about the influence of the Ethiopian church. Um, And I think we need to... one of the things I, I, I like to do is read the biographies of, of giants in the faith. So if you read Augustine's Confessions, fantastic. However, let's read the biographies of the formerly enslaved, people like Mary Prince. She was a firm believer in God. She went through hell and back and her faith stayed strong. Mary, the history of Mary Prince, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass or the interesting narrative of Alada Equiano. These were all people who were formerly enslaved, okay? And we can, we can get knowledge about their journey of faith. So I think that making our curriculum reflect the global church is, is really helpful. Okay? All right. Over here. Quick, quick, quick. Thank you so much. You showed us the slide with the um, like theologians and philosophers and what they really looked like, the artist's impression. How did you find that out? And where could we kind of learn that stuff as well? Because obviously if you Google it, you just see the Eurocentric representation yeah so um okay there's a fantastic apologetics organization called the jude three project okay it's run by an african-american woman called lisa fields jude three project and um she works with another guy called vince bantu so um go on the jude three project website basically and have a fish around their stuff on church history but also watch that film unspoken it will it will be illuminating yeah um there's another book I can recommend, but it's very dense. Okay, it's very good, but it's very dense. It's called A Multitude of All People. A Multitude of All People. It's by Vince Bantu. And it's got just an entire raft of, of, of thinkers from the global church. Great. Thank yeah. you so much. No worries. I'm going to be here at the end. I'll stick around for any more questions, but we've got three more minutes. Maybe we can do two more questions, one beside one side. And I'll see you guys at the end if you want to talk some more. Hi, um, my name's Chitalu. I'm Zambian, but Hi. I was raised in England. And when I go to Zambia, I feel like there's a lot more um, Christian presence in um, that country than here. Uh, so I wanted to ask, like, why, what do you think about the fact that Western countries like the UK, which were front runners in colonialism and had the biggest empire, are now becoming in- increasingly secular in comparison to countries that, where they instill Christianity uh, despite the fact they were oppressed? Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I think there's, two, in short, very two, two, two main reasons. One, the West is doing things and has been, has been um, kind of, um, it leans into secularism. So the idea that we don't need God to function as a moral society, we don't need God. And there are some arguments as to why someone would come to that conclusion. So a lot of people will argue that Christian, um, secularism today has inherited Christian values 
and has forgotten that those values come from the Christian faith and thinks it can operate on it without it. There's a great book by Glenn Scrivener. It's called The Air We Breathe. And it's basically talking about that kind of legacy of Christian values within secularism. People say we don't need God anymore. So it's it's partly to do with secularism. And the second thing is the church. The church has not always done the best in representing Jesus well, has treated people badly, hasn't taken their objections seriously. And so when people are treated badly by the church, they're like, okay, I'm done. And they leave. So I think part of it is the witness of the church. And part of it is the West has become... uh, um, settled in its idea that we can do life really really well without God and that looks like it looks like the case on the surface when we look at the underbelly of the west modern day slavery is happening right under our noses the sex trafficking industry is huge yeah the underbelly of the west tells a very different story to the surface of secularism being the the best way forward yeah okay and one more here Hi, thank you so much. It was really, really useful and challenging. Um, I just wanted to ask what your views were on kind of nowadays church planting and mission overseas. And given that it's been done so badly previously, if you had any wisdom and what your thoughts were. Um, Again, I just constantly refer to the example of of Jesus in St. John 4. And the irony is when Jesus was talking to the woman and the disciples came to see And they were shocked. They were upset. They were shocked, not because Jesus turned the water into wine, because he was talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. My point is that we need to, if God has called you to be an evangelist or anyone in this room and called you overseas, then you need to get alongside the people who are there. And that might take a long time. When we look at Paul in the book of Acts, he's here for three months. He's there for three years. He's there for one month. He's there for days, different times, spending time in a culture before trying to just tell them how you must come to Christ. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's about working alongside people and not trying to go in, as we've seen, heard the phrase, as the white saviour sort of thing. Yeah, I think the gospel will always stand above culture. God's kingdom will always be breaking through. That's why some of the fastest growing churches in the world are in, let's say, in Iran. Yeah, where the church is underground. God is still moving. But it's the way that we do that is going to put a bad or good taste in people's mouth. Thank you so much, everyone. Let me just pray really quickly. And then I think we're free to go unless... Okay, Lord God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for these young people. Thank you for their questions, Lord. Thank you for the friends and the family that they think of as we look into this topic. And I pray, Lord, as our friend asked the question for healing, Lord, where there has been hurt and pain, Lord, I pray for your healing. And I pray, Lord, that you will empower us as the church to be able to have difficult conversations, Lord, so that the gospel, Lord, isn't blighted, Lord, by what has been done and what continues to be done, but that the truth and beauty of Jesus can shine through. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.